From the untamed wilderness to the freshwater shores of the greatest lakes, Michigan's Upper Peninsula is an outdoor lover's paradise and the country's best kept secret. My name is Kristen Ogenini, a lifelong youper and the newest host of the iconic UP Outdoors television program, Discovering, and it's my honor to carry on the tradition of the best outdoors storytellers of this region. So sit back, listen, and discover what it's like to live and play in this amazing place we call the UP. Today's Discover the UP podcast is brought to you by Big Valley Ford, Dodge Chrysler Jeep in Ewan, Michigan, BAM Tools, Hardcore Outfitters of Iron Mountain, and Cooking Wild Seasonings. Welcome to the Discover the UP podcast. I'm Kristen Ogenimi. This podcast is a little late for a few reasons. I apologize for that. One, I've been just super busy, which is normal for me. Two, I didn't want to put it up too many days before the Discovering episode airs with the same interview. February 12th's episode of Discovering is about the 2023 deer season, and I'm starting to sound like a broken record, maybe just to myself, but I've written the line, the 2023 deer season was one of, if not the, lowest harvest on record in the UP. I wish it was not the other way around and I could do some positive story on the deer harvest report. But that's not the case. Hunters are not happy. The deer herd is on the decline and there are so many factors at play here. Deer hunting and the traditions of deer camp are really important to the Upper Peninsula. And I'm wondering if we are in jeopardy of losing that tradition. And not only is this tradition important but a lot of small-town businesses rely on that economic boost that November brings, or used to bring. I'm not a huge deer hunter. I do hunt and I do enjoy it, but it's not something that I live for. I'm more concerned with putting venison up in the freezer because I like it better than beef and I feel it's a lot healthier. I do like getting outside though, and deer hunting is just another excuse to get outside, maybe go sit in my blind and drink coffee, or actually get out hiking in the big woods looking for that 30-pointer with my boyfriend. I got to do that a few times this past deer season just because it was unseasonably warm, which um, we can talk about another day, but that was also probably part of the reason for that low deer harvest numbers is it was warm, it was dry, um, not really typical for November. So I've maybe shot five or six bucks in the last 10 years, ranging from spike horns to nine points. I'm not a horn hunter. Like I said, I'm a venison hunter. And I've shot those either on our own property or my aunt's 80 acres across the road. I am fortunate. I live where people come to hunt. The population of my road doubles come rifle season in November. So I've probably taken for granted that it's just easy enough to get a deer come season. And there are tons of deer in the UP because when you think of the UP, you do kind of think of deer and deer camp. And that will always be the case. But apparently it's not. Before getting involved with the Discovering program and paying more attention to what is happening in the outdoor communities, I had no idea what type of habitat is ideal for deer what deer wintering complexes were. I mean, I knew that severe winters that lasted long into April and May killed deer because I could see it with my own eyes um, and it's not pretty. And, you know, it's a terrible expression, but you don't know what you don't know. And if it's not something you're actively concerned about, it's not something you're going to pay attention to. Like the fact that our deer herd is on the decline. At one point, we had too many white-tailed deer in the UP, and now some feel we don't have enough. I feel like, I mean, I could make an entire show, new show series, that just revolves around deer and deer hunting in the UP and its current challenges. There is a lot going on here. So, for one 20-minute discovering program, shows are 30 minutes, but you take all those commercial breaks away and you're left with slightly less than 20 minutes of actual content. In that, I interviewed three sportsmen and the DNR about it all. I spoke to each for up to an hour, but obviously there was so much more that was said that you can't fit into one TV program. So here's interview number one with George Lindquist. 
George has been a part of multiple sportsmen's groups over the years, including UP Whitetails of Marquette County and the Michigan United Conservation Club. He advocates for hunters and proper wildlife management and habitat management and is an avid hunter himself. I did first meet George at a Natural Resources Commission meeting last October. The NRC holds meetings every month, but once a year in the UP. Um, I think it was brought up in that NRC meeting from the public that they should hold more in the UP. I mean, we are half the state here and probably have more wildlife than the rest of the state. Anyways, I read a letter that George wrote to the NRC after the low harvest was reported and decided he'd be a good person to talk to. So here's that interview. So we're going to sit here today and talk about that last deer season. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Would, would you, do you know, is that like the worst harvest record on? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's got to be the worst one in, in quite a few years. Uh, 20, 2014, if you remember, uh, was a real bad year. And, and, but what happened then was we got some really heavy snows early on. And the deer had migrated out and people couldn't even get to their camps. Uh, so there was like very little hunting that year by anybody because you couldn't get to where you needed. I, I went around here, uh, you know, before rifle season, uh, the deer were right up to their necks walking, you know, heading to the deer yards. So, so it was like really tough. And, and, uh, so that, that winter was probably like real close to what this last year was as far as uh, deer harvest goes. But the thing with that is uh, a, lot of, a lot of bucks didn't get shot that year. And the next year looked pretty good because a number of bucks survived. So it's kind of like, oh. And the DNR calls it a bounce back, that it bounced back that year. But my feeling is that, well, yeah, but... Like I say, you had all these deer that survived. So, I don't know. This this year, this last year, uh, you know, I know weather was a factor. Deer just weren't moving. And it was kind of a strange thing. Uh, they only seemed to move at night or they just weren't moving around very much, as act, you know, as active as they normally are. You know, the weather was just unusual. But <laughs> deer numbers have been going down for a long time. And I've said before, it's been, you know, pretty much the last 20 years, deer numbers have been going down. And uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of an ongoing thing. There's a number of reasons why, you know, we have this uh, very high predator load, you know, and people keep focusing on wolves and, you know, they're definitely part of it. Uh, but habitat's also a big part of it. I have these huge concerns with what's going on with our hemlock. Uh, DNR says that we've lost something like 97% of our hemlock between 1850 and 20 in the year 2000. Well, okay, so that was a huge change. And, and But since 2000, we're still like cutting and harvesting hemlock, which is like a... It, to me, it's like a super wildlife tree. All kinds of different wildlife use it. Uh, but deer, uh, you know, that's where they like to bed. And what I see happening is a number of the commercial forest landowners are cutting it basically just to get rid of it. There's very little uh, timber value in it, but they're trying to get rid of it to make room for more maple. At least that's my thoughts on it here is that you know, they're getting it out of the way. And what happens is, like now when the deer are migrating, the deer like to migrate from like one stand of hemlock to another stand of hemlock on their way to the deer yard or wintering complex. So, so they will like, they might hang out here, like they hang out at my place here for like weeks at a time before they move out. And so I'll have deer from the West move in and they will... They'll be here for a while, you know, got this nice stand of hemlock along the, in a south-facing ridge. There's food here, and, and they'll stay here for a couple of weeks. Well, when you take those stands of hemlock out, and it's just maple, they just walk through there. 
They don't even stop. Okay? So what happens is the deer go right to the yard, and then they end up being in the yard a whole lot longer. You know, you've got this thing going on where, where they're, so if they're in the wintering complex longer, then they're, you know, they're using up the food, you know, they're burning up their fat reserves, and, and you end up with more dead deer is what, what happens. And, you know, it puts more strain on that wintering complex. And uh, so you've got this cycle kind of going on right now that, you know, as we lose hemlock and, and cedars a huge, you know, component in southern UP for sure. And, and so, you know, as we lose hemlock and cedar, we lose that cover. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't see that, but I, I kind of feel like whatever landowners can do, whatever they can do to, to save those trees and do what they can for habitat, I think that's really a, a key thing. You know, whatever we can do to help deer, like, be super healthy going into winter or whatever we can do to help them with, with early food in the spring, I just think that, that can help, you know. We can only do what we can do. And so, you know, if more people did those sort of things, I think our deer would be better off. And yeah, you know, believe me, I'm a huge proponent of, of, you know, being able to harvest wolves and managing these animals. But, but and so is Market County Whitetails. I mean, there's a ton of groups throughout Michigan that are very supportive of uh, being able to manage these animals. But but uh, we can't <laughs> legally. And, and it's a crazy thing because, uh, you know, there's this wide open season on coyotes. And then, like, every wolf is protected. So it's, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's, it's very frustrating for a lot of people. I get that. And, uh, you know, wolves are the, you know, from what, I, what I'm reading, they are the number one... Uh, cause of mortality for adult does. So, you know, if they're taking out the does, we don't have as many fawns. And I don't know, there's, there's just a ton of reasons here what's going on with our deer herd. You know, the, uh, this predator-prey study that was done was a great study. Uh, but in the end, what I see is uh, they were showing fawn survival well, they only showed the first 16 weeks of life of fawns. That's all. They didn't do the whole year. When they looked at the whole year, uh, it was a different story on like how many fawns survived. And uh, it was really low. <laughs> and so, yeah, you have just a number of issues here. Uh, you know, one thing we can do too uh, is maybe we need to issue a few more bear tags. Maybe we need to control that population a little bit. Uh, from what, from what I've read, it's like they're responsible for 15% of, uh, fawn mortality. You know, any little thing we can do can help. Uh, Market County Whitetails is proposing that we, we move some of these lines about, uh, uh where we can take antlerless deer and maybe take less antlerless deer, you know, kind of cut back for a few years here. You know, until we start seeing the population grow, you know, does are the primary uh, animal that, you know, helps the population. So maybe we need to cut back on antlerless take here and move those lines further south. You know, we still have those issues in Menominee County and, and the very, uh, you know, that part of the UP where there's too many deer. And, and yeah, we need to keep... keep take an antlerless deer there, but, you know, I'm hearing from all across the UP that people are frustrated. I think we're going to have a lot less hunters next year because people are so frustrated with what's going on with their deer herd. And, and this year was just kind of like, this was kind of the tipping point. It's been going down for years, uh, deer numbers. A lot of people have walked away from deer hunting you know, camps have been for sale. They've moved. People have just gotten tired of it. You know, they, they, people want to see deer. And so, I mean, I can go on about all the different uh, stories I've heard this year. Myself, I saw three deer for rifle season. 
I'm a pretty serious hunter. I, you know, I put my time in, I got nine cameras out, I'm hunting on my property, I'm hunting on other public lands, I move around, and uh, I'm not hunting out of one box. And uh, yeah, I saw three deer for rifle season. And so it's like, it's a pretty tough situation. We need to do some uh, serious, you know, consideration. And I know I'm, you know, I'm happy to see that the NRC, Natural Resources Commission, has asked to form these uh, deer management initiative groups. We'll see what goes on with that. Uh, there's one for the UP and one for the LP. And uh, I'm hopeful that people come to the table with real interest in doing something. And just this week, there's the uh, UP Habitat Work Group is meeting. And uh, I've been a part of that from the start. And, you know, we're, we've got recommendations for like all these different wintering complexes across the UP. We're hoping that we can get some, you know, get some more active work forward on this. You know, recommendations are good, but if we're not seeing action, well, Today's Discover the UP podcast is brought to you by Cooking Wild Seasonings. Cooking Wild Seasonings. Flavor and meat. Just mix, heat, and eat. That simple? You bet. Now even easier with our new grab-and-go four-pack cartons. Four combinations to choose from. Whitetail Hunter, Deer Camp, Summer Sausage, and Fresh Sausage. Make it fresh, make it yours. Make it easy. Grab a four-pack today. Available at various locations, including all Chris Northwoods neighborhood store locations. Find out more about Cooking Well Seasonings at cookingwellseasonings.com. So, I was yeah. going to ask you what the UP Habitat work group does. I mean, what is that mission yeah. and what, do they, what does that group do? So, so the, the work group, like I say, looked at all the different, uh, first of all, try to identify, map all these different wintering complexes. We They mapped like... 50 some of them across the UP and uh, you can go to the DNR website they have that on there uh, if you look at boards and commissions I think you can find the habitat work group but but you can actually like look up the the wintering complex by you you know or wherever hey so across the UP and uh, you know I think a lot of people don't even know where their deer go for sure so so these are all mapped out and then there's you know, they went to all these complexes and looked at, you know, tried to look at, you know, what's the percentage of uh, shelter compared to the amount of food. And so try to decide what they need more. Do they need more shelter? Do they need more food? And uh, so, you know, they're trying to make recommendations based on that. And so this isn't just, you know, one little spot, but but it's like within like a two mile radius of these wintering complexes on, on what we can do or what would be good things to recommend. Okay? So if there's food over here, the deer will go to it and, and muck on that. And, you know, the idea is to try to get something to help them get through the winter, you know, and, and provide the right amount of cover. You know, uh, a number of our wintering complexes, this is another thing, another of our, of our wintering complexes has been cut over over the years. You know, there's been some big ones down by Escanaba and everything just been, they were cut, you know. You lose that, you know, thermal cover, like to call it, uh, you know, you lose that shelter. And then it's like, well, great, deer got a lot to eat that year. <laughs> but, you know, logging practices are such now they can clean up an area pretty quickly as far as uh, making a cut. And... Uh, so, you know, you lose that space and you're going to have less deer in the future. You're just going to have that. I mean, and, you know, deer will try to go here or go there and, you know, people will feed them a little bit or whatever and, you know, may or may not help. And uh, so there's a lot to it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to it. Now, a lot of these um, deer wintering complexes, are those mostly on federal land, private land, commercial forest land? Where are they? Uh, I would say most of them are probably on commercial forest land. The state uh, owns about 20% of them. And, and uh, so, but, but then you got the federal forest, you know, they own some too on, on both our federal forests up here. 
and then there's commercial forest land. And uh, so what's neat about this habitat work group is we have the state there at the table. We have the feds at the table. We have some of the larger uh, commercial forest landowners at the table, all trying to like work together on, you know, what's best management practices, you know, what, you know, and, and they've all agreed to kind of lay off these wintering complexes as far as cutting, but I don't know, you know, it's, it's I feel like if we can get the state to manage their properties like uh, uh, maybe as show places that other owners would be doing the same you know I, I, I kind of feel like if we can manage these deer wintering complexes much like they do with the gems the grouse enhancement areas where they do intensive management uh, you know they do that too uh, downstate with these uh, state game areas they go in and they plant things, they, you know, make certain cuts and try to do, like I say, intensive management here where they would, uh, you know, get some food on the ground or get some, you know, some food coming up, hey, essentially, which is better yet. And, uh, yeah, work on that uh, cover, you know, part aspect of it. So you don't feel they're intensively managed up here? No, no, for the most part... Uh, you know, as far as the state goes, it's mostly hands off. They do make cuts at times. Uh, they did some by Harlow Lake here the last few years, you know, uh, did some cutting in the hardwoods. And, uh, but I just feel, and I think a lot of other people that more could be done, you know, and in the state has a number of programs, what they try to do things. They have this deer range improvement program and, and, you know, you can get grants, uh, Market County Whitetails has gotten involved with a number of those and so have other organizations, you know, the other chapters or other organizations have been involved with that. We work with the conservation district on that, but there's, it hasn't been enough to move the needle. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been enough. Hey, so it's like, well, what can we do? You know, our deer herd's still going down. We're still, you know, have a declining deer herd here. So, so, you know, it's gotten to the point is like, well, what do we need to do? You know, what is going to make an impact here as far as stopping the decline or reversing it at all? Uh, you know, it's kind of a, a big thing and it's a lot to look at and, and it's going to take some real commitment. I kind of feel like uh, we, we need buy-in right from the uh, state administration, you know, because we need forest management to be involved. We need DNR Wildlife Division to be involved. You know, we, we need, you know, cross-department work to be done here. And so it's a big deal. You know, uh, how are we going to restore hemlock across the landscape? You know, when the state says they only own X amount of land. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, you know, the state has... Uh, working with the, with the feds on federal land. You know, they have this good neighbor authority where they can kind of work together. And, uh, you know, well, let's kind of push that more towards wildlife. I kind of feel, personally feel that we have so much emphasis, the state has so much emphasis on parks and trails, but there's like so little for wildlife. And uh, so wildlife division is counting on, you know, license fees. But... You know, trails and parks, they're getting these giant grants from the state and stuff, you know, where they're just here, build this, do that. And, and, uh, and you know, and one of, the one of the reasons why these people go to the parks and use these trails is to see wildlife. Hey? So, you know, I just feel like we need more emphasis on that. And so habitat's the key. And if we don't focus on habitat, it's like... Where are we going and why, you know, so. How is there just not as much focus on the wildlife then? Or, yeah, just... yeah I, you know, I, I wish there was more focus on wildlife because. It, it almost feels like there, there's deer here, there's always going to be deer here, but obviously that's not the case. <laughs> it's not. No, and you know, I, I think a, a lot of people don't realize uh, when these federal, when the federal wolf plan was put together and even the state one, you know, they both talk about uh, ensuring enough uh, prey 
for wolves and for hunters. And so, so here we are, hunters are now, you know, we're talking about cutting back on our take again here. And, uh, because of lack of deer, hey? So, so it's like, should we, should hunters bear all this or should, you know, should we be doing more? Uh, is it, you know, are we falling short on this? You know, most people feel like we are. Feel like we're like falling short on, you know, meeting this goals of having enough prey for, for wolves or other predators and, and man. So, you know, where do you go with that? What's the line? Where are we with, is, is like, when do you decide there isn't enough here for both? And, and so, you know, we have hunters making all these sacrifices. You know, we want to, you know, there's talk about cutting way back on any antlerless tags, antlerless take in general after most of the UP. And we've already done that for years up here where we haven't allowed antlerless take. And so it's like, where's that line? Where do we cut it off? Where do we decide that, hey, something needs to be done here? Today's Discover the UP podcast is brought to you by BAM Tools. My friend Andrew wants to help support this podcast, but didn't know how he should advertise his business, so here goes. BAM Tools is a small, family-owned, and operated business out of Ewan, Michigan, but they cover the entire UP, delivering tools to all sorts of businesses. Inside the tool truck are hand tools, power tools, automotive shop supplies, and so much more. I should tell Andrew I need a new Grizzly cooler, preferably blue. BAM Tools is also a tech tire supplies distributor, and Travis is the guy behind the wheel of that truck. So if you see Andrew or Travis in a BAM Tools truck, tell them thanks for supporting this podcast. I'm a venison hunter. I mean, you I read the Facebook forums. I listen uh, to everybody argue. And yeah, they're always like, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there's like the argument, we're taking too many does, we're taking too many bucks, we're taking, you know, nobody can really, hunters can't agree on what's the best management there. there. Yeah. I'm just like, I just want a deer to put in my freezer. Sure, sure. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, for those that are just, you know, more the, you know, the hunter gatherer that's just out there for the venison too. I mean, they, mm-hmm. Yeah. They rely on that, you know, that resource as well. Exactly. And I do too, you know. And so it's like to see three deer for, you know, 14 days of hunting or whatever, it's like, you know, I I can see how so many people are saying, well, why am I out here? Why am I spending the time? Why am I putting the time in here? Maybe I'll just go out of state or maybe I'll just put the gun away and go to the casino. You know, I don't know, you know, so, you know, it's, it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. I'm, I'm hopeful with this deer management initiative. I'm hoping that, you know, uh, people there will come to the table with some plans here. And I've, I've made a, I put together a list of, uh, possible things to look at. Mm -hmm. We'll see where that goes. So that initiative, um, do they have dates set up for that? And they have like, is that group all like? No. No. <laughs> and uh, so at the December NRC meeting, they brought this up that they were going to form these groups. They're going to like uh, start like working on it um, in December, December and January. And here we are in the middle of January. Uh, don't have any dates. Don't know who's on it. Don't know if they're just going to do the lower peninsula first and then do the UP. And, uh, yeah. And so the NRC is asking that, uh, the DNR come back with some recommendations like by April. (laughs) And it's like, well, things are going to have to start happening here pretty soon. And so we'll see. So I'm thinking next month now things should kick in here, but... And I, you know, I think the DNR understands we have a problem here and uh, they're, they're looking at things. And so we'll see where, you know, see what they come up with. Okay. So. 
Yeah, I seen on your options here. Um, oh, end all deer hunting in the UP by December 10th. Do you feel that we have way too much, too long of a deer hunting season? That's a complaint we often hear. And, and the reason uh, that was put in there, this was like years back that was uh, resolution was drawn up. We have a complete resolution on that. But, but because our deer migrate, it's kind of a big issue. Uh, you know, over the years, I, I've talked to a number of people that, you know, they have their camp and maybe three, four neighbors that all agree to let this yearling buck go. And, you know, they're only going to take a buck's a certain size. And, uh, you know, maybe they have six camps that do that for a pretty big area. But when snow gets to 18 inches or whatever it is, those deer are leaving. And so when those deer migrate, you know, they're going 10, 20, there's, you know, 50 miles deer migrate. And, and so during that migration, they're going by all these, all these hunters, hey, because people set up on them on the migration trails. You can't blame them. That's where their deer walk through. And, and anyway, so, you know, it's been a hard thing for people to let go, deer go and then never see it again. And it's very frustrating. And, and uh, so anyway, the idea is to protect these animals while they're in transit, going to the yard or while they're in the yard. Uh, you know, right now uh, you can hunt with archery right to January 1st. And, uh, the deer are often in the yards and, you know, they're only using certain trails, just like these migration trails. They use the same trails year after year. So, you know, you sit up along one of these trails and, and you can take deer. Anyway, so the idea was to get away from that, you know, let these deer go to their sanctuary. Make these winter complex a sanctuary, not someplace where people are in there basically harassing them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, and that's why they haven't allowed uh, crossbows in the late season. You know, three quarters of archery hunters use a crossbow. So, you know, people say, well, it's not that more efficient, whatever. That's not all the story here. It's like, if you have three quarters more people that can be in those yards, whatever, you know, that's, that's a huge thing. So, and they are more efficient. They're easier to use. That's why we have so many people using them. And yeah, you know, I mean, it's like you sight it in, you can hit with it and, you know, get a rest. So anyway, the idea was if we can, you know, take the pressure out of the deer, off the deer when they're trying to migrate, trying to get to where their sanctuary is, you know, why not? Why not? And, and it'll, you know, it'll help some deer. But it also, like I say, it'll, it'll let them freely go to their wintering complex. Now, do you feel the, I mean, so wolves, I mean, we have a lot of predators on the landscape. I mean, wolves are the newest member of that. Um, right. So we have a lot of bears, we have a lot of coyotes, we have a lot of wolves. There's really nothing the DNR or the NRC can do since they're federally listed. But do you feel there is anything that they can do to help to possibly... Help well, the narrative of getting the wolf delisted? Yes, I do. I do. Because uh, I guess my take on what the DNR has been doing over the years is they've, and I, and I understood it early on when we didn't have many wolves, was that they try to like minimize any impact uh, wolves might have. And, uh, you know, try to just say, well, it's not that much of a deal, whatever. And, uh, and, the thing is, it's gotten to the point now is like, that's not the narrative anymore. You know, we have too many wolves. We should be managing them. They need to have that message loud and clear. And, you know, and I know they've, uh, you know, they've put in letters recommending that they come off the endangered species list and all, which is, you know, is what they should be doing. But uh, I just feel like... Uh, there's more they could be saying about the impacts they're having on our deer. And, and I, I think that might uh, help sway more people. And because it's, it's not just the feds you have to, uh, you know, sway. You have to sway the general public 
You have to sway all these people downstate that don't understand. You know, they have to know that, oh, this is an issue. You know, it's wildlife management. It's predator-prey balance. You know, that's, I don't feel like they're uh, explaining that well enough to the general public. And unfortunately, the ones that are trying to explain it to the general public are, are I don't think, doing it in the right way. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of that out there. And, uh, or, you know, uh, even if somebody tries to be diplomatic about it or try to explain scientific, like me, I don't have that, I don't have those letters behind my name. You know, I'm just... You know, Joe Sportsman, Joe Woodsman, whatever. And uh, so you just get dismissed. And, and uh, but when the state comes out and says something, you know, it should mean something. And, uh, you know, years back, uh, the state said that wolves will take anywhere from 25 to 40 deer a year each. Okay, so if you do a little math, you know, a lot of people use this 630 number, whatever. But even, you know, Brian Roll admitted that the uh, October NRC meeting, that number could actually be more like 1,400. So even if you call it 1,000 wolves, say we have 1,000 wolves. So 25 to 40 is 25,000 to 40,000 deer. Well, if... It's been a long time since hunters took 40,000 deer in the UP. So when you think about that, you know, we only took 16,000 this year. We took 22,000 last year. We took 25,000 the year before. Before that, it was more like 28,000. You know, it was like, <laughs> see where I'm going? It's like it keeps the number of deer that hunters take. It's not just because of our declining hunter numbers. It's because there's less deer. And less, and yeah, people are dropping out because there's less deer. And, you know, the hunting tradition in the UP is so huge that it's not like downstate or even a lot of the rest of the country because it's such a family tradition. It's such a tradition to like, you know, put your meat on the table, you know, the, the hunter-gatherer thing up here, you know, and, and deer camps. And, you know, you've been to a number of them. Pretty lucky. Anyway, uh so, you know, it's such a tradition up here that, you know, deer hunting is going to be a big thing if we have deer. And, uh, you know, so for a number of years, it was like 30,000 or in the low 30s we were taken. But, you know, I go all the way back. I'm looking at uh, 2003 when we only had like 360 wolves. Uh, we killed like 62,000 deer. And that was like not too long after the bad winters of the mid-90s, late 90s, where we'd lost like two-thirds of our deer from those winters. So, so it's like the deer population used to jump back or come back. But once wolf numbers got to a certain point, they, you know, I tell people they may not like crash the population immediately, but they keep the population from coming back. And so it's been happening over and over, though. And so our deer herd hasn't been able to come back. And like I said, you have all this habitat issues, but you also have a lot of predators out there. You know, uh, coyotes are the main predator for, for fawns and, uh, you know, bears right up there. So, you know, you lose them and, and where are we, you know? Today's Discover the UP podcast is brought to you by Big Valley Ford Dodge Chrysler Jeep in Ewan, Michigan. When I'm traveling around the UP, I'm surprised and not surprised by how often the vehicle in front of me has a Big Valley sticker on it. Big Valley Ford Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is located in the tiny town of Ewan on the west end of the Upper Peninsula. People from across the region buy their new and used cars and trucks from Big Valley and they drive all the way back to Ewan to get them serviced. Which reminds me, I'm probably due for an oil change myself. I'm on my fourth new Ford vehicle with over half a million miles under their tires, so I'm probably due for a tire rotation too. 
Big Valley is a one-stop shop for all your vehicle needs with a full service department, parts department, and body shop. I got caught in a hailstorm once with my last truck, and they made it look just like new. If you're looking for a new or used vehicle, go see them in Ewan or check out their inventory online at bigvalley.biz. The deer season used to have such a great economic impact, especially to small towns where I live. I live in a oh. tiny town in which, in the middle of Onsdagen County, I mean, that was a huge draw, is deer oh, sure. season and the place yeah. would be packed. Now it's crickets. There's nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the businesses are hurting, you know, they that time of year and usually is a big boost going into the winter season, which is mm -hmm. gone now. Exactly. And, you know, I think Ontonagon County was one of the counties where the, you know, the, the deer kill is down 40% this year, 40%. Marquette County is the same way. A and uh, think about that largest county in the state. We're down 40%. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's serious things going on. We really need to do something here. Uh, turn things around. Uh, DNR has got to like quit denying that wolves are having an impact or how much that impact is because it, it is pretty big and, and uh, there's no doubt about it. You know, I tell people that wolves are an additive that we really ha haven't had for about a hundred years. So, you know, we already had all these coyotes. We already had bear. We already had, you know, bobcat, whatever. Hey, and, and uh, but now wolves, this apex, that's really an additive that we didn't have before. And uh, it's having an impact. There's no doubt about it. You don't have to look hard to see it, you know, so. Yeah, I said I live, you know, farm field. People used to drive, you know, say like a three mile stretch. And you could see just even a handful, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. People would just drive our roads just for fun, just to look. Because you'd yeah. see a hundred deer in an evening in these no fields kidding. and yeah. stuff. I counted one day um, this fall. I was lucky if I saw twenty. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's and like that's a fifth. I, you know that's ideal time of day. I'm mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, in the yeah. evening. In yeah, the evening time. You know, right before you know hour before sunset or something like that. And right. Yeah. I don't have any people driving up down my road now looking at deer, so there's <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. bonus, I guess. <laughs> right, right, right. It's a lot quieter on the, road. quieter on the road. Well, it was a lot quieter here. There was hardly anybody hunting on the road here this year. Mm -hmm. It was like, and we used to have, you know, truck after truck going by or, you know, people parked all along the road, different places, and we just don't have that anymore. I, you know, there's a few people that hunt. I talked to one neighbor, you know, a mile or so away. He said, yeah, I didn't even hunt. He said, uh, you know, I... I had, uh, you know, he's saying he's had pretty much as many wolf pictures as he had deer pictures, and, you know, there wasn't a, anything there he really wanted to spend the time at, you know. You feel a lot of people are staying downstate just because there's so many deer down there now compared to up here, so people aren't coming up here? To oh, no doubt. No doubt. You know, there's a lot of deer downstate, and, and people, uh, you know, those deer don't migrate, and so a lot of people that own land, you know, they're managing for their deer, and, you know, they're doing all kinds of habitat work on their own properties, and uh, so, yeah, why come up here? You know, I've, and there's a tradition, you know, there's a number of people that still come up. Uh, our family has a camp uh, east of Melstrand. And uh, there's been people, uh, the same family has been coming up there since the 50s. And, you know, they use the camp. And and uh, I don't know if anybody saw a deer this year. So it's like, you know, they have that tradition. They're still holding on to it. But it's like, how long will they do that, you know? I mean, what do you, I mean, the DNR doesn't do like a deer population estimate anymore right correct okay so yeah. they don't really have any idea of how many deer are on the landscape what's like a target number of deer on the landscape no no they used to have like population goals and they ended that uh around 2006 or something and, and uh at the time for the deer management unit that i'm in 007 they'd made recommendations that they'd like to see like 18 deer per square mile and, and Everybody thought that was a reasonable number, uh, but they didn't have a a way to get there. They didn't say, like, how are, what are we going to do to get there? And, uh, you know, and at the time we made it, 
10, 12 deer per square mile, whatever. And uh, so they didn't have really a way to get there. And they kind of, they just dropped that whole thing. But so, so, you know, now they're saying they can go by deer kill, though. They have an idea what the population's doing. They go by the buck kill. Well, where are we going with that? You know, and I also bring up uh, car deer accidents because people, you know, they use that as a gauge or people tend to, including the DNR. And uh, so back in 2003, again, we had like 8,600 car deer accidents. Actually, it wasn't even just car deer accidents. It was deer killed. That's how they did it. You know, they were looking at how many deer were killed, 8,600. And uh, the most recent numbers I have from like 2020 or 2021, anyway, it's, it's right around 3,000. So quite a bit less. And, and, you know, now we have 65 mile an hour speed limits. We have more traffic. I mean, think about the traffic that's on the roads. Hey, you know, all these tourists, they're not paying attention, you know? <laughs> so you would think we'd have a lot more car deer accidents. And, you know, downstate, they're complaining about all these car deer accidents. And, and we're, you know, well over a third of the state and we have 3,000 car deer accidents. And there's 59,000 in the entire state. So it's like, we're just like a small fraction of car deer accident. It's not because we have so less people, because like I say, in the summer, fall, winter, now we got all the snowmobilers coming back up here. Now we got snow and, uh, but. But talking about, I mean, the wolf kills, I mean, the wolves have more of an impact just than killing, you know, deer just outright. I mean, they're being on the landscape in these deer wintering complexes, you know, puts a lot of stress on it, yeah, just having wolves there, having canines, uh, particularly in the wintering complexes, you know, that puts the deer on alert. That, you know, it used to be deer would go to these wintering complexes, they'd eat what marginal food they could get, and then they'd like lay around all day chewing their cud, trying to digest this stuff that's not the greatest. But anyway, they're, so they'd lay around and like conserve energy. Uh, you know, some say their metabolism slows down. Anyway, so they burn a lot less energy. So that helps them get through the winter. But every time that adrenaline is spiked, say they get jumped, okay? So, you know, they, they don't get eaten, they don't get touched, but maybe a deer next to them gets it or whatever, hey? And, and uh, but they get jumped, they get run to the other end of the yard or wherever, and, uh, you know, they're bouncing along. They're burning up calories. They're burning up energy. You know, I tell people it's like burning a candle at both ends, hey, because they're like, they only have so much fuel. The candle's only so big. And so as you're burning that up, come, come March, April, you're, what's left, hey? And, and so, and I brought that up to one of the, Biologists, he called it secondary predation, essentially, because they they're burning up that energy, and yeah, the fuel's gone, and and so, you know, I t I know people that uh, supplemental feed, and you know, they're telling me, yeah, there's there's either coyotes there or there's wolves there, and so they're they're actually happy to see coyotes because there's less wolves you know, there's, there's less deer going to get killed by coyotes than do by wolves. And, and so the wolves will show up once a week or whatever, kill a few deer, the coyotes are right behind them, you know, they're cleaning up or whatever. And, 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 you know, and they take deer too. So, so it's like, it's just kind of an ongoing thing where a lot of these deer in these wintering complexes are, are just getting bumped, you know, every day, every couple of days whatever, twice a day, you don't know, you know, so they're not just always laying around two in their cut. And, and, you know, that's the ideal. <laughs> it's just getting through winter, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. So that's another factor, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's one more reason why we have less healthy deer, why we need better habitat, why we need more food, because they need more food. They need more food now without those, you know, than they did without those predators. So. 
But is there anything you feel that people, you know, hunters can do to help the situation? Well, like I mentioned earlier about habitat, you know, they can do some work on their own. You know, they can look on their own property at their camp or whatever land they might own. Or, you know, you, there's these grants that are available to do habitat work. And, you know, maybe you can do something, work with commercial forest landowners. That's what we've done. UP Whitetails Market County has done. We've tried to work with commercial forest landowners. That, you know, maybe right after a cut, they let us come in and uh, plant the roads or, you know, plant some wildlife trees there, that sort of thing. And uh, so, yeah, so whatever anybody can do in that area, and like I said, the state only owns about 20% of wintering complexes, so who owns the rest? Uh, you know, the, some of that's private. And uh, so whatever they can do, you know, to, to look at those recommendations for those places, uh, they might even be able to get grants to get some work done there. You know, come in and have some trees planted or whatever it happens to be, you know, whatever the recommendations are. So, so there is that. They could be attending meetings too. Uh, you know, I was at the uh, October NRC meeting. It was in Escanaba. They have one meeting a year in the UP. And uh, there was maybe a half a dozen sportsmen there, you know, hunters that signed up to speak. That was it, you know, and, and uh, there was probably close to as many anti-hunters there. So it's like, yeah, pretty easy to be a keyboard warrior, but who's going to get up? Go to Escanaba. I mean, how hard is that? Hey, and, and just, just being there is a good thing, you know, even if you don't speak or just get up and say, you know, you're frustrated. Or whatever it happens to be, you're not happy with the situation. You'd like to have more deer on our landscape, or you're concerned about this or that. And, uh, you know, that's the idea is to, you know, use those public forums like that, but not just, you know, whining on Facebook, let's say. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that get pretty hot about that, but, you know, you can say all you want on Facebook, but. Who's listening besides somebody that agrees with you? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're not reaching Lansing. You're not reaching the managers of our resources. So, you know, I got involved early on. I had a older guy who'd take me around to different meetings and stuff. And uh, Cliff Waters really. Uh, he knew places all around the state. He'd been all over the place and. So we'd go to this, go to that, and, and uh, you know, put our two cents in, essentially. And here I am still doing it. He's passed away, but I'm still doing it. So, you know, and that's why I got involved, too, with uh, Michigan United Conservation Clubs. It's because, you know, they're based out of Lansing, but it's clubs from all over the state. There's like 40,000 members. There's a couple hundred clubs you know, organizations that belong to it, but it gives you one voice. Let me give an example of that. You know, just this last Thursday at the NRC meeting, I'm watching, MUCC puts it on their Facebook site. You can watch the NRC meeting and uh, you can watch it live. So I'm watching it live. And uh, anyway, a woman gets up and speaks about, uh, she wants to ban lead ammunition. And... Uh, and I get it, you know, eagles have died, different wildlife, you know, from ingesting lead. And part of it is from hunting bullets. Anyway, you know, people put out their uh, bloodshot meat. Well, that bloodshot meat is bloodshot because there's lead splattered in it. Anyway, so, so I'm watching it and I'm thinking, oh, we have a resolution that we put in uh, asking people to voluntarily not use lead and go to the copper and monolithic bullets, uh, you know, whenever possible. And, uh, you know, to voluntarily do it, not make a law change like some other states already have. Okay? So if we can voluntarily get people to switch over or to have a better understanding about it all, you know, why not? So I texted, <laughs> I got a whole <laughs> MUCC, uh, the guy that was from MUCC that's at the meeting, 
he signs up to speak. He gets up and talks about uh, not using lead ammunition, you know, MUCC stance on it. So here I am. I'm out here in the sticks of northern Marquette County, but, you know, I just dropped a message to them, you know, can you speak on this? And they did. This was like in 10 minutes time. You know, I don't have to drive to Lansing to get a point across. You know, I can do that right from here. So, so, you know, being involved with an organization like that, that has that sort of presence, you know, they're at all the hearings, they're at all these legislative things, you know, they're, you know, they're there. And uh, they've helped steer a lot of legislation because there's a lot of dumb legislation that comes out. Somebody will have some idea, and well, why don't we do this, or where we should go with here, or whatever. And, and uh, so MUCC is trying to track all that, and so they spend a lot of time and money just trying to, you know, maybe help rewrite something that's better for sportsmen, you know, better for fishing, whatever it happens to be. And uh, so, you know, there's a big force that's really not getting appreciated enough. You know, if more people joined that and, and got their action alerts or what's had a better understanding of what they're working on, I think, uh, you know, it better educate the people of the UP, you know, and, and maybe more people would act, more people would be involved. Yeah, definitely. I mean, people think they're like, what can I do? You know, I mean, they don't feel like they're, yeah. I feel like they're feeling pretty helpless at this point. Oh, sure. Yeah. And you can't blame them, you know, but that's one thing that they could do is get involved with MUCC. I recommend that to everybody. You know, it's, it's, if you care about our resources, if you care about how they're being managed or, you know, or, you know, if we can fix some, you know, some bad legis legislation or, or maybe right legislation, you know, Today's Discover the UP podcast is brought to you by Hardcore Outfitters of Iron Mountain. Hardcore Outfitters strives to promote and instill an enjoyment of the outdoors for all ages and individuals. Whether you're already an avid outdoors person who enjoys the thrill of the hunt or newly learning the art of archery, sharpen your skills at their indoor archery range and check out their line of products from Matthews, Hoyt, Bear, Raven, Centerpoint, Tenpoint, and Wicked Ridge. If being on the water drives your passion and has you hooked, they have an impressive selection of year-round fishing gear, plus a full-service bait shop and the largest selection for fly fishing the UP. Go to Hardcore Outfitters in Iron Mountain, tell them I sent you, and discover what outdoor hobby or adventure awaits you. You know, there's a number of Market County Whitetails and a number of organizations supplemental feed across the UP. You know, you see it in the Keweenaw, you know, Newberry, Grammaray, you name it. And, uh, but we'd like to be able to get away from that. You know, if we can get these wintering complexes in better shape so they can carry some more deer, you know, then we wouldn't feel like we had to do that in order to even have a deer herd. So Chad Stewart from DNR said, you know, these northern areas and probably where you are is they, there's like three to 10 deer per square mile. Okay. So you own a 40. That's only, <laughs> there's 16 40s in a square mile. You could own a 40, you could own 80 with no deer on it, you know. And, and so, you know, that's not a lot of deer. And, you know, one of the reasons why we, you know, uh, against antlerless take over a lot of the other areas because if you take out that prime age doe, that's the producer, you know, she knows how to raise the deer, you know, the fawns, her deer, her fawns survive. And uh, maybe she puts out twin fawns, you know? So if you take out that prime doe, you've actually affected that population. That's a population effect because say <laughs> so you, Say you got six deer and you take out that one doe, it's like, what do you got next year? You got some yearling doe that never raised a fawn, you know, trying to replenish the resource. And, uh, and they say, yeah, the yearling does, they'll only produce one fawn. And once a doe gets to about two years, they'll, you know, at two, yeah. three, four years old, a doe is always going to have twins or triplets. Oftentimes, at that point. yeah. Um, a lot yeah. of them don't survive, you know, due to predation, but... Yeah. 
but the the rate of survival goes up as as the doe gets older because she's been there. You know, she's been to these different situations, hey, with predators, whatever. And so, yeah, they're better at it. So that's why those animals are so important. No, that makes sense. So you, um, in your move the line where Atlas takes love with archery, toy line south of US 2 from Eskinologist. So just limiting the, the Atlas deer to those higher deer populations in the southern part of the UP. Exactly. You know, Menominee still has a lot of deer in, in, in some of those areas, uh, you know, right around there is where most of our deer is. Uh, you know, right now you can get antlerless tags uh, over a good part of the UP. You know, they have these areas, 351, 352 or whatever it's called. But, it, but anyway, you know, you can buy antlerless tags or you can take antlerless deer with your archery equipment over, you know, at least two-thirds of the UP. And so if we move those lines further south, uh, you know, where most of the deer are, where the higher deer numbers are, you know, maybe that's something we can do that'll help. And, and you know, those sort of changes are meant to be short-term to see, you know, say in five years, see if we've done anything. But, but uh, you know, in, in a number of these recommendations too, any one of them won't do a lot. But when you put them together, it's like, okay, you know, we've re reduced the take on antlerless deer. We're doing habitat work. You know, the habitat work is always long-term. Although, you know, if, if they were, you know, if people are, you know, interested in intensely managing these wintering complexes, maybe they're doing a, going to do a small cut. That's immediate. Okay? And the next year you have stump shoots coming up. And, you know, stump shoots are like a favorite food for deer. So, you know, if you can put some tops down now and, and get some stump shoots up, you've done something, hey? And uh, so, yeah, but I, you know, the Andrelis thing should just be a short-term thing where we, you know, we know we need to do something here to control the take. And it's a, it's a shame, like I say, it's a shame we're in that position, you know? I mean, I feel like we, kind of took for granted there would always be deer and there would always be enough deer for anyone that wanted to go out there and harvest a deer. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Buck or doe, you know, I mean, it's like, why not? But, but we're in a situation here now, like I say, if there's three to 10 deer per square mile, you don't want to be taking <laughs> those prime does out of there. You just don't. And uh, so, you know, you know, a buck can uh, breed several does, but like I say, if you lose that doe, you, you've lost something. So you'd say like the peak of deer hunting was probably what, like 90, mid 90s or? Yeah, well, we had the most deer, uh, you know, in the early 90s, up until we had these two bad winters in a row there, in 96, 97, I think it was. And uh, that's when we had the most deer uh, but we actually had too many deer at the time, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean at the time I I tried to uh, get things to loosen up to be able to take more antlerless deer. It didn't happen much, but uh, yeah, we had too many deer. And but you know what happens with a resource is hey, if there's like an overload of of this one animal, predator numbers are going to come up. And that's what happened. Hey, we had those two winters. There was dead deer everywhere, you know. It was winter of the '96 and '97, and uh, so those springs, they were just dead deer. And uh, so all the predators had really easy living, and uh, they just multiplied. And you know, now we are where we're at here. So, because there weren't many coyotes then, there just weren't. And you know. Of course, the, the price of a coyote hide was probably a lot higher then, too. You know, people were trapping them or people were on them more. But they're, you know, like I say, after those winters, the population of predators started, and that's, you know, started going up. And, and that's when wolves really started coming on the landscape, too. You know, it was easy living. So, you know, and, and no competition because there weren't a lot of wolves. But now we're at a point where the, you know, uh, every niche is filled with wolves. 
In fact, one thing I was thinking about as far as moose go, you know, or even deer, like, you know, people say the, the, the wolves follow the deer to the yards. Well, because they only have, they're saying wolves are only in like 80 square miles. Hey, that's, that's their, you know, each pack's range. So that's like eight miles by 10 miles. Okay, so you got this square or whatever, a rectangle. Anyway, and of course they're not just shaped like that, but but generally, hey, they're so it's eighty square miles, and uh, if they go out of that area, they're like running into other packs. They're running into trouble. Hey, they they can't just move freely because there's another pack here is going to run them off. There's another pack over there or over here that's going to like you're going to have this conflict. Hey, they're going to be fighting. And, and so they kind of stay in their area, you know, and that is all fluid. But, but, so I think, well, so like all the wolves don't follow the, the deer to the yards. They only follow them so far and then they're done. You know, then, then it's like they got to kind of make do. Okay? So, so what happens in the, in the uh, uh, moose core area? So those deer move out, they go to Skaney or they go quite a way south. And those wolves that are in that area kind of stay in there. And what do they have to eat? So what's been happening with our moose population? It's really not growing the way it was. No, uh, you know, and I was on this moose advisory council when the moose numbers were growing like almost 10% a year up until like 2009 or something. Well, that was about the point when wolf numbers got to a certain point. And wolf numbers got to a certain point, the moose numbers slowed right up on their growth. And, and you know, I don't know how many adult moose are being taken. Nobody knows this stuff. But there, there's no studies going on. There's nothing, hey. And uh, anyway, but how many moose calves are being taken? How many twins do we have? The twinning rate's been going down for years, and, and the number of calves per cow has been going down. Well, you have wolves in this area that, you know, what else do they have to eat? There's no deer. There's no deer, and yeah. So, you know, you can only eat so many beaver. You can only catch so many beaver, hey? What are they doing in the wintertime when the beaver are all in their dens? So it's like, so it's not just deer. You know, I have concerns about our moose too. In the next podcast, I interview Chad Stewart of the Michigan DNR Wildlife Division about the low deer harvest, what the DNR thinks those factors influencing the low deer numbers are, what that means about our deer herd, and what the DNR plans to do about it. So thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next Discover the UP podcast.